You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is Inside Purple and Gold. Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani. Tom Schreier's not with us today, but we got our friend Ben Raven. Covers the Lions for MLive. He's been doing it for about four years now. Seen some stuff, and I saw him tweet yesterday. Like this is the first time that since you've been on the beat that this has been meaningful football in December. Ben, what's that like? Yeah, yeah, what, what is it like to, to watch meaningful football in December? Because generally speaking, <laughs> the season's done usually done by now. But one, I have not written draft profiles yet, which is a win. That is a win. I love covering the draft, but that is a win not to be into that already by December. But yeah, yesterday I walk into the press room in Allen Park and this time last year, it's just the six usual suspects that are there every day. You know, the six, seven guys. I mean, every chair is taken in all four rows. Everybody's there. So like there is a little playoff atmosphere going around that building this week for sure. But yeah, it's just, uh, it's kind of exciting. I mean, they're in the hunt technically, Playing meaningful football, yep. get Jamison Williams back. I mean, there's a lot of excitement going around here. It's a, it's been a nice, fun change. Like you said, I've seen a lot of stuff, but I hadn't seen this yet. So this is a new one. Sure. <laughs> Some wins of in, in four of their past five, the Lions, looking like a dangerous team. Like Obviously, the media room's full up over there at Allen Park. What is the reception from fans? Like, How are Detroit Lions fans who have been starving for, for something, for – a decade, two decades plus, like how are they receiving this team? How much is the city, is the state behind the Lions right now? Oh, very much so. Very much so. You know, there were some that were starting to turn when it was one and six and they're firing their secondary coach. But ever since that win against the Packers and winning four out of the last five, I mean, it's been a really, really positive fan environment. But I mean, Ford Field's been rocking every single time. I mean, they've had six... They had more than 60,000 people at a Jaguars game last week. I mean, they were struggling to crack 45,000 the last two years. So, I mean, it's it's going up big time. And, I mean, this stadium this weekend, that's going to – it's going to be rocking in there for sure. But, um, yeah, the fans, I mean, they're – and I think helping the fans right now. I mean, yeah, they're 5-7. and seven. It's going to be another likely non-playoff season. I mean, they're in it. That feels great for them right now. But the Rams struggling so much yeah. and still keeping that pick in the top five – has kind of allowed fans to disconnect themselves from that conversation and enjoy this streak and enjoy watching the rebuild actually check boxes that they need to check at this stage and do those kind of things. So, I mean, shoot, Lions fans, compared to the last three years, they're on cloud nine right now. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a good point because you're right. Like five and seven, technically still in the hunt, probably not going to make the playoffs. Some things would right. have to go their way. They'd have to probably win out and have some other things in the NFC break in a different way. But the fact that they have that line, that Rams pick, 
it's not like at this point in the season, if you didn't think you were going to make the playoffs as a fan, you would shift to like, why are we winning? Like, this is not helping us. We could go find a quarterback of the future, but they're able to kind of have the best of both worlds now. And the, the Rams look like they're going to keep losing too. So that trade couldn't have worked out better. Obviously the Rams won the Super Bowl, so they'll take it. But um, from a Lions perspective, I, I, I can't imagine people are, are too disappointed with how that thing worked out. No, absolutely not. I mean, like I said, it's kind of fueling. It's kind of allowing them to disconnect and enjoy this run. And actually, like, I mean, we haven't heard anything. Why are they winning? Who cares? They still have the second overall pick. It's working out. (laughs) What has been working so well over the past five weeks? You know, even the loss, you need pushing Buffalo to the Mm -hmm. brink. Like, how have they been able to stay so competitive? Week in, week out, obviously that offense, is it seems to be humming right now, 40 points last week at home against Jacksonville. As someone who's there every day, what's working so well right now for the Lions? Uh, the running game is just consistent. Everything goes through that offensive line, and even with injuries on the offensive line, that offensive line allows this team to do whatever they want to do. I mean, Jared Goff is playing the best football I've ever seen him play since mm-hmm. he got in Detroit. I mean, he is playing lights out. He hasn't thrown an interception in four weeks. He hasn't lost a fumble since the meltdown in Dallas. And that was, that was in October. So, I mean, he's helping it a lot. I mean, they are money on third down. They are the best team in the NFL in the red zone. They're scoring on 74% of their trips to the red zone right now. And they're doing it. I mean, Goff and St. Brown are the best duo on third down in the league statistically mm-hmm. right now. Jamal Williams is leading the league in rushing touchdowns. And DeAndre Swift the last couple of weeks has been getting more involved, getting healthy. Last week he saw that. I mean, they're really they, – they have their full, like, treasure chest of tools right now. DJ Chark is back. Josh Reynolds is healthy. Like, Jamison Williams still hasn't done anything, and he's coming back in. I mean, they get Quintus Cephas back at practice yesterday. I mean, health. Health is coming at the right time. The offensive line has provided the stability that – that's why they built this offensive line. Sewell and Decker have been money. Ragnow's playing on one foot, and he's still one of the best five centers in the game. And, um, mm-hmm. and the defensive rookies, they, they they had all seven – they had seven rookies on the field at one point last week, and these guys are forcing – I mean, Aiden Hutchinson leads all rookies in sacks, leads yeah. all rookies in pressures. Josh Pascal's been a welcome presence since he came back. And Kirby Joseph, the third-round rookie safety, who was deemed a project coming in this year. I mean, I think he's got three interceptions – or two interceptions, two forced fumbles. I mean, they're creating takeaways. Forced fumble on the second play of the game last week, turned it into points, and they never looked back. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what this team wants to do. I mean, it's, it's uh, everything's working out of that Jacksonville game. But right now, it's just a beautiful balance between the pass and run and the young defense making plays. For sure. Did you – be honest. Did you foresee this type of turnaround coming – when they were one and six, because I feel like nationally as as someone who obviously isn't there every day from an outsider's perspective, it was like at the beginning of the year, the lions were media darlings. Hard knocks was awesome. Dan Campbell was hilarious. A lot of, it was the hard knocks fever. Like every team kind of gets it. And everyone was like, Oh, the lions could really do some things this year. Then they start one and six and people are like, okay, like, is this, this was fool's gold. Like it's just hard knocks is finally worn off. Dan Campbell's not the one. <laughs> Did you foresee this turnaround coming? Were there aspects throughout the first seven, eight weeks of the season where this makes sense? Or is this something that was, uh, you know, a little bit out of left field for even you who's there every day? 
you know, and not to pat myself on the back too much, but I did predict this team to start two and five and to finish with eight wins. So okay. I did kind of see, I mean, I thought, I thought the first half of the schedule was just kind of tough, you know, just sure. tough looking at things. It's a young roster. They got some injuries in certain spots. <laughs> so I kind of did see a slow start out of the gates, but no, to play, to put myself back in my shoes when they were one and six, no, we're looking at that schedule thinking, I mean, you're looking at the giant giants who are playing well, the yep. Jets who are playing well, still on the schedule. You got the Bills coming to town on Thanksgiving. I mean, there were, there were, there were, there were, we were talking on the beat like, oh crap, they, they could easily be like two and eight real <laughs> yeah. quick. And we're going towards another similar season to what we've been the last couple of years where nothing matters in December. But uh, so no, you know, preseason, I kind of saw it happen, but no, you ask me, Five weeks ago at one and six, I did not see four out of five coming. No, for sure. Because <laughs> it was looking bad. I mean, it was the defense was they fire their secondary coach. The defense is allowing more rushing yards per attempt, more passing yards per attempt. Couldn't get off the field, and that's kind of really been the source of the turnaround. Is that defense playing up to the high level offense? The offense has really kept it going for the most part, outside of New England and uh, the Green Bay win. But yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a little. Column A, little column B on that answer. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, I want to dig into, obviously, the, the game from week three when, when the Vikings and Lions played or whenever that was. I think it was week three. We'll do that in the next segment. But you mentioned the, the offense obviously humming, and, and I think people even during that slow start expected this offense to kind of rediscover itself when Amon Ross St. Brown came back in and, you know, obviously DeAndre Swift dealt with his fair share of injuries, but Jamal Williams has, has, has picked up the slack there. I think the offense, at least from someone who, you know, a 30,000 foot view was never going to be the issue. How has the defense managed to, like you said, play up to the, the potential of the offense? You mentioned some of the young guys stepping up. Is it really, does it start and end there or have there been other guys within that defense that, while they're still giving up some yards here and there, it doesn't seem like they're, they've really hemorrhaged points in the way they, they did early in the year. You know, it has mostly focused on the young guys stepping up their play, but Alex Anzalone, the starting middle linebacker who plays every snap, I mean, he, he's not going to get a ton of love from the analytic sites and stuff like that, but he has been just an absolute rock-solid presence in the middle of that defense, and he's playing a lot better football than he gets credit for. I mean, he had a massive stop last week that really – when the Jaguars were starting to kind of show a little life, I mean, bang, he had ETN in the backfield, tackle for loss, had a pass deflection. Another unsung hero was John Kaminsky, who the Falcons cut heading into the season. I mean, two weeks ago, that guy had nine pressures. Last week, he's blowing up Lawrence in the face, knocking passes down. I mean, they're getting some help from some of those veterans, too. But, I mean, we were looking at it yesterday, and it's basically a new-look defense. The only yeah. two guys back on that defense from last year at this point are Lynn McNeil in the middle and Alex Anzalone in the middle at middle linebacker. So it's really, I mean, it is those young guys coming together. It's Pascal, it's Hutchinson. James Houston has played 17 defensive snaps and he has three sacks, three quarterback hits and two pressures. And that was, that was a six round rookie they've had on the practice squad all year. So they are the draft class, man. Kirby Joseph, he, like I said, he's been unbelievable. Hutchinson is, I feel like people are starting to recognize Hutchinson because he's starting to make like two, like, wow plays a week mm -hmm. i mean he has been exactly as advertised because he is someone who continues to get better and better and really allows them to play around with their defensive line and uh that's kind of when stuff started shifting was when they they shifted to a little more zone coverage they put yep. deshaun elliott back at safety and they moved to lynn mcneil around from the inside on that nose to three technique a little working 
some more big bodies in. So it's really started the defensive line and Alex Anzalone in the middle. And just, uh, I mean, Jeff Okuda. I mean, I haven't even said his name this whole time. And that is someone who's stayed on the field this entire season and yep. has had some really special moments and has really cemented himself from dark horse. What is this guy three months ago to cornerstone piece of the future? For sure. One more before we kind of cut here and then shift the, you know, to the page to this weekend, like Aiden Hutchinson, you remember you were, talked about him. Probably can't talk about him enough. If you could put yourself back to at the NFL draft and when the report broke that Trayvon Walker was going to go number one and Aiden Hutchinson was going to fall to the, the Detroit Lions at number two, how shocking was that? And for a kid from Michigan who played at Michigan to stay home in Michigan, like how galvanizing was that for for a fan base looking for something at that point? Oh. I mean, yeah, they were fired up when that report came out and the Jacksonville Jaguars actually went with Walker instead of Hutchinson. I mean, it was it was excitement. It was, you know, you got a little corner of the fan base who's extreme Michigan State message board fans. You don't want none of that. <laughs> but most of them have come around even to this point, too. But no, it was it was. I mean, because people watch that guy have one of the most dominating Big Ten pass rushing seasons of all time. I mean. Whether you're watching Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State, you're all watching Big Ten football, and that guy's play was undeniable last year. So it was, it was. And me, personally, I was one of those holdouts until the final minute. It was like, Jacksonville, there's no way they're taking Walker over Hutchinson. Like, I understand Mm -hmm. the athletic traits of this kid, but, like, Hutchinson's a pretty special athlete, too. And I think that really got buried in the draft process. So, I mean, from a team perspective – from 90% of the fan perspective, this was a dream scenario. I mean, the Jaguars punted a dream into the Lions' lap and they sprinted to the podium and made it happen. I mean, it was, I mean, it's an ideal fit. I mean, it really is across the board. Yeah. And it's someone who the Vikings and the rest of the NFC North are just going to have to see for the next 15 yeah. years. And that's just not <laughs> something anyone's excited about. Uh, when we come back, uh, Ben's going to hang around with us. We're going to talk about the game. Obviously, we haven't really talked about that week three matchup yet. We haven't talked about what to expect this weekend. Uh, more on that when we return. Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani, joined today by Ben Raven. He covers the Detroit Lions for M Live. Um, happy to have him on the show today. Ben, we talked a little bit about that week three matchup um, in, the, in the last segment, kind of touched on it. Um, that's, that one still eats at Dan Campbell, huh? I think I saw a quote yesterday. Um, what was the quote? What, how does he kind of <laughs> perceive that one still? It seemed like a quintessential Dan Campbell quote from from yeah. a I got it right in front of me. So we were on the same wavelength there. He just said he was asked about it. Like, how do you feel about that one? He just said, look, it burns. Of course it burns me. I mean, that will be there until the day I die. That's not going to go away. So, uh, and he, I mean, because he really puts that one on himself for some of his fourth down decisions in that yep. game. Like, he is really 100% taking the blame. I failed my players. I did not put us in a position to win that game. And it's like, since that point, I mean, he has remained aggressive, but you have seen growth from him. He has punted from the 50-yard line a couple of times, which is always very surprising. He's mm-hmm. starting to settle for kicks with Michael Badley kind of settling in. You're reigning special teams player of the week, which is kind of crazy to a team that was working out five kickers a month ago. Sure. But, um, yeah, that, that one – and it does, because, I mean, shoot, there was about 25 seconds worth of pauses inside of that quote, the way he said it. I mean, that one stings. I mean, I think that one really changed him, really taught him some lessons and kind of helped him involve as a coach. So, yeah, that's a bulletin board game, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thinking back to that game, like, 
he did cost the Lions. Like he, and I'm, and that's that's good that he's able to kind of wear that and be accountable for that because you see it so many times with with NFL coaches throughout. It's getting questioned about decision making post game and just turning that around on the reporter like you don't know anything. So it's like yeah. the fact that he was able to kind of see because it was plain as day with with some of the decisions he made. Um, the fact that he was grown has grown from that. Um, it, I, I think it's a good thing because th- there's no there's no question about it. Um, he makes a couple of decisions. If he makes the objectively correct decisions in those moments in that game, they win because yeah. they were better than the Vikings for call it fifty two <laughs> minutes of the game. Yeah. Uh, fifty two minutes they dominated, and for eight minutes they did not. So. Yeah. I mean, before he even took a question after that game, his opening statement started, that's on me. I failed our players. I mean, before we'd even talk to him. But, yeah, I mean, you talk about games this team feels like they should have won. This one and the Miami Dolphins game, yep. those two are the ones that absolutely haunt this team, for sure. <laughs> that's – I mean, it's nice like, like that you said you guys have been able to see tangible growth because that was – I mean, anyone who watched Hard Knocks, I feel like has been rooting for Dan Campbell to succeed. And when he does things like he did against the Vikings and, and <laughs> in the in the Dolphins game as well, like you're like this guy just might not succeed. But like over the past five weeks, you've seen the growth. Like yeah. you said, you guys who are there every day have seen the tangible growth from that week three loss to now week whatever twelve thirteen we're in. So I mean, I'm happy for for him to, to that he's been able to kind of harness that and grow from that and it's you see it every coach is is learning on the fly like no one is perfect so the fact that he's been able to do that is good because I think the Vikings looking back on that game they know they stole one Um, they absolutely know they stole one and and it's obviously a different team that they're going into Detroit to face this weekend why has the line flipped it started at, at, at minus two and a half Vikings now it's minus, minus two and a half Detroit. Do you have any theories on how that has flipped completely on its head? If any fan base had reason to say Vegas hates them, it's the Minnesota Vikings. Because like <laughs> that, Vegas is like rejecting everything the Vikings have done this year. I, like I've checked the lines on the Vikings, I feel like, five weeks in a row. And it's been like, why are they like three and a half favorites on the Jets with Mike White? Like this, I know they're winning close games. I know it's not always pretty. Yeah. I know they've had some miracles go down where they've been dominated for 55 minutes and won the game. But like this is still a good team. Like I, I, I just like – I. It's fascinating. I was shocked to see that. Like, on one hand, there is a part of me that expects the Lions to win this game, but then there's that other part of me that's like, why would the Vikings be underdogs in this game? Like, everything that's led to this point, even with the Lions' hot streak, the Vikings have been hotter. The Vikings have been hot, you know. I mean, they're 10 and 2, right? They can Uh clinch, they've been able to clinch the division the last two weeks. I just think, uh, I don't think the Vikings are one of the elite teams in the NFL, but I do think they deserve a lot more respect than that. So I was pretty surprised by that. Yeah, I was too. Um, but then at the end of the day, like every week I've been surprised, like Vegas has basically proved me right. wrong because <laughs> the Vikings continue to play these close games, whether they cover or not. Even last week, I think they were two and a half point favorites over the Jets at home. I'm thinking that's that's a crazy line. Vegas is going to lose a lot of money here. And then they jump out to 17-3 and, and they're dominating and – of course, it becomes a really, really close game. Jets almost win in the final seconds. Vegas had the line pretty close to right. So 
if I know one thing about the Vikings, they're going to be it's going to be a close game this weekend. Yeah. And if it's not going to be a close game, it's not going to be because they're winning. It's going to be because they're getting blown out because they're two losses this year. The Philly in week two, yeah. not close. And to the Cowboys, oh, four days before Thanksgiving, a 37-point beatdown. They do not blow teams out. They only get blown out by teams. So if the Lions win this weekend, I think it'll be well over you know, the two and a half to cover. Um, I think it's going to be close. Um, the, like you mentioned, Ben, the, the Vikings can clinch this weekend. A lot of their success, and I'm not breaking any news here because this has been the recipe for success all year, is going to be can you get Justin Jefferson going? Because mm-hmm. they couldn't in, in week three. If you could think back to that game, was it just Okuda or were they were they helping over the top? Like, how were they able to limit Justin Jefferson in week three? Because not many teams had. I think that stretch between week two against the Eagles when Darius Slay kind of shut him down and week three against the Lions when probably a combination of people shut him down, that's his worst stretch of the year. Since then, just a dominant season. You know, I think yeah. he can flirt with 2,000 if he continues to kind of put uh, some good games together over the final five weeks of the, the, the regular season. That's how the Vikings are going to win the game. How are the Lions going to stop him? Yeah, it's because it, it's interesting because that Vikings game last time, I mean, that was a career low performance for yeah. Jefferson, 14 yards. And it, it was Okuda. Like, he was the man assignment on him, shadowing. It was the first time we saw Jeff Okuda ever really shadow someone like that. But, mm-hmm. oh, my God, the shift to that, wherever Jefferson was, the defense was shifted. Like, Okuda, Okuda played a great game, like, without question. Played hard, played physical, did everything he needed to do. But there was a lot of help. And there was a lot of help for a reason, too, because that was the game that the Lions lost starting safety, team captain Tracy Walker to that torn Achilles injury for the season. So, I mean, they had – I think they had a third-round rookie and an undrafted rookie at safety. So, it was kind of just, like, watch him shade that side of the field. But, yeah, Okuda played great. And I, I just think – He's the type of guy who can stifle receivers like that because he's very underratedly physical. Like Okuda might be one of the best cornerbacks already against the run in the mm-hmm. league. So it's like in, that was one of those games where he was able to take that physicality against the run and kind of morph it into those first five yards on Jefferson. He had some help, but he really was able to contain him for the most part. And I mean, sure, that defensive strategy worked on Jefferson, but it came back to haunt them on that KJ Osborne touchdown in the final two minutes there without the safety help on that side. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to say that they'll be able to replicate that, but they're sure going to try. And uh, but they recognize that they're a much different defense from that point too. So it's going to look different, but um, I see no reason to think that it's going to be Jeff Okuda, Justin Jefferson again this weekend. So, you know, I mean, we might, we might be watching that for the next six, seven, eight, nine years. So buckle up. Yeah. I guess we'd be <laughs> so lucky to be watching that. Cause anytime you can see a, a top tier receiver going against exactly. a top tier corner, we saw it last week with sauce and sauce Gardner didn't follow. He didn't shadow Jeff, Jeff Jefferson last week. Um, but anytime they were matched up against each other, it was physical at the line. And it was, if Justin Jefferson was technically winning, he wasn't winning by much. So yeah. I'm excited to see that matchup this weekend. I don't think Vikings fans are excited to see any matchup that involves Amon Ross St. Brown because <laughs> I don't think there's anyone on the Vikings that can cover this dude. You mentioned how the Lions are a different look defense than they were earlier in the season. The Vikings are not. They give up a ton of yards. They hemorrhage yards. They just somehow find a way to make a big play when it matters, um, whether it be a turnover, a sack, a deflection, forcing a field goal rather than allowing a touchdown. 
they've been good in those situations of the bend don't break. I don't think that's a necessarily a good recipe because as you've seen in the game against Dallas, sometimes you just break, you don't bend at all. Um, I don't think anyone can cover Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, what, what do you kind of project from him? Because he's just tearing it up the last two weeks. And then really since he's gotten healthy as a whole, he's, he's been very consistent. And since that game in Chicago where the yeah. offense made a conscious effort to say, oh, yeah, let's run our offense through this guy, mm-hmm. he's been absolutely lights out. I mean, honestly, I could sit here and he's going to see double-digit targets. He's probably going to tap 100 yards. He's probably going to have 8, 9, 10, 11 catches because everything they do goes through him. Mm-hmm. And now it's easier than ever with DJ Chark healthy stretching the field, with Josh Reynolds healthy on the other side stretching the field. Jamison Williams is going to play a lot more than eight snaps this weekend. And yeah. like he hasn't caught a pass yet, but he's might be the fastest player in the NFL on day one. Somebody that safeties have to account for. And I mean, like I said earlier, St. Brown and Jared Goff, the best first down percentage in the NFL, the best third down conversion rate in the NFL. I think he's got, he had two touchdowns last week. He had a touch. Yeah. His stats since that Chicago game. I mean, this is kind of who we thought he was going to be 37 catches on 41 targets in four games, 431 yards, three touchdowns. He's a threat in the rushing. I mean, everything they do, he is he is the focal point of this offense. You will see him get carries out of the backfield. You will see him get swing passes out of the backfield. And, I mean, I, he is one of the best – I mean, he's one of the 10 best wide receivers in the NFL. Yeah. Like, I, that feels like a hot take, but the way he's playing and the way he's playing right now and the way he's consistently doing it, I mean, he's not going to destroy you over the top in the vertical game, but he is uh, – nearly impossible to cover in like the 15 yard line and on in the red zone. I mean, he's, he's tough. I know you're getting Dantzler back over there, but I mean, whew, St. Brown's a problem. He's a problem. Yeah. I I tend to agree with you that he is a top 10 receiver and it's funny, right? Because the only reason he's not recognized yeah. as a top 10 receiver nationally is because he was a fourth round pick last year. If he was a first round pick last year and he's doing this <laughs> and putting up these numbers, people would be like, Oh my God, look at this guy. It's, you saw it with Justin Jefferson. He came on, well, week three of his rookie year he was really his coming out party, and then he really just hit the afterburners in, in the final stretch of the regular season as a rookie. And from that point forward, it was like this guy is a bona fide top ten receiver. Yeah. Amon Ross St. Brown's not getting that national respect, probably because he was just a late-round pick and people are trying to kind of find ways to explain his success. At some point, we just have to accept that he is just a damn good receiver. <laughs> Um, so I agree with you, Ben. I don't think that's a hot take at all. Um, but before I let you go, we got to talk about Jamison Williams because while the, all these guys that we've talked about, whether it's Aiden Hutchinson on defense or Monroe St. Brown on offense, like the Vikings are going to have to deal with these players for a decade plus to come. Jamison Williams is a more interesting case study to me because the Vikings gave the Lions Jamison yeah, Williams that's right. yeah. at the draft. <laughs> the Vikings were on the clock. Jamison Williams was on the board. As we've seen this year, they could really use a second receiver to kind of help with an aging out Adam Thielen. And instead of drafting Jamison Williams or instead of drafting a guy like Kyle Hamilton, who's been really good with the Ravens this year at the safety position, they traded the pick to Detroit. They moved back in the first round quite a bit. And Jamison Williams fell into the Lions' lap. Um, credit to Lions brass for making that move. How good can this kid be? Like, how much have you? I mean, he's been hurt all year, obviously. Um, but what is his ceiling? Because I think he's someone who Vikings fans are going to look at 
five years from now and be like, damn, he could be ours. His ceiling, I mean, just because we know so little right now, his ceiling is as high as you want it to be. Yeah. I mean, honestly, because the combination of his speed, his length, and just, I mean, he's fast. That's what I can tell you right now, because that's pretty much all I've seen from him. He's rusty. He's dropped a lot of passes in practice and in pregame. Has not really done much in a game, but my goodness, he's uh, he's already the fastest player I've ever seen on like a practice field in the yeah. NFL. Like it's 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 noticeable. It's very noticeable, and it's just when you put him in an offense with St. Brown, who can yeah. do all the other stuff everything else and then you have swift out of the backfield who they like to use out of the slot and use williams it's really easy to see jameson being a downfield threat on three to four targets for the rest of the season but you're talking next year i mean it's going to be fully unleashed i mean yeah he's going to be in with saint brown as the top two guys and it's just like to have two guys that different that good on other sides of each other it's just uh it makes the ceiling even higher for me. I mean, this is a potential 1,200 plus yard a guy a season. He's a potential. Jared Goff had a hard time comparing him to someone, but it's just kind of like throughout Brandon Cooks. Well, Jameson Williams is taller and a more complete wide receiver than Brandon Cooks, so his ceiling's yeah. pretty stinking high. It's just like once he once he gets clicking, once they figure out the quarterback, is it Goff? Is it a rookie? Where they're going with that? I mean, this kid's gonna be he's gonna be a problem because he's got no matter how rusty he is or how long it takes him to get into the kind of form as a receiver, he's got a elite, elite top level, a tangible, and that's mm-hmm. going to come into effect with a team that's got so many different style weapons like the lions. They will find ways to use him. They've been itching to throw that ball downfield. They've been trying to throw it downfield to DJ Chark all year and it ain't been yeah. connecting. So we put Williams in those targets next year. And it's really easy to see that vision. For sure. Real quick, less than a minute, because yeah. I know I told you I'd leave you with Jameson, but we have not talked about TJ Hawkinson yet. I was just thinking it too, so yeah. go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Were you surprised that trade went down? I, I feel like maybe I didn't bring him up because it just kind of feels like he's been a part of the Vikings forever because he was able to assimilate so quickly. Um, but I remember when that trade happened, I was like, I didn't even know he was available. Were you surprised that the, the, the Lions were willing to move off a guy like that and trade within the vision? I didn't expect it, but he was definitely Mm -hmm. the guy on the roster who was the most tradable, the most likely to be traded because just from my shoes, it just really became evident that they weren't going to offer a long-term extension. They weren't just going to go for that. And it's kind of like, well, it's going to happen. It's going to be now or this time next year. And they're looking at this as a long-term rebuild. I think they were at one and five, one and six or whatever, going to the deadline. So move up in the draft some more, but, um, just uh i was i was surprised to see another in division trade for yeah. sure like that i mean I, I think the question was asked like gosh you're fighting for their playoff lives and now you're doing it against a team that was already pretty good and you gave them a pro bowl tight end yeah. so uh definitely surprised uh but hey i mean i think you guys have seen it he's a very very impressive receiving tight end i mean yes. he's not the blocker he was advertised as coming out of iowa he's not kittle light like he was kind of advertised was as the top 10 pick but i mean when he's on his game and he's clicking, he's one of the five best receiving tight ends in football. And I just think the marriage between him and Kirk Cousins, that is such a good fit. Like, that is such a good fit. Like, they're – the Vikings, you got – Mike, they use the play action so much. They're, like, using it more than ever this year, it feels like. And that's where mm-hmm. Hawkinson – because the one thing he does really well, he's a really good block seller. He's yep. really good at falling down. He's really good at I, – it's just an ideal fit. So looking at it now, it is kind of funny how it's all gone because it does feel like he's been there forever. Like it, it just feels like a fit. But, yeah, it was. he was definitely their most tradable because they just didn't have assets to move up in the draft. And it's like this is a long-term rebuild. 
and they have not like used their tight end since they yeah. traded Hawkinson. I mean, they have like three or four touchdowns in the four game sense, but I think they've done that on like seven targets. So it's like, you see the vision. All right. Trade that really good receiving tight end. Let's get some blocking minded guys rely on the running back and the receivers. And that's what's happened. I think it's a kind of like the Stafford golf trade turning into a win-win. Yeah, for sure. And, and you're right. Like you've seen a tangible shift where they're force feeding the ball to Monroe St. Brown. Hard to argue with that recipe. Right. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Um, enjoy the game this weekend. I'm sure I, it'll be close. So I don't think the stories will be written until the final <laughs> gun. I can promise you that. Um, but everyone, you can follow Ben at Benjamin S Raven on Twitter. Um, once again, we thank him for, for joining us. I know he's got to get out to the facility, probably get there early. Cause it sounds like it's going to be packed. You gotta, you gotta find right. your seat. You gotta get so, my chair. <laughs> yeah. Ben, thanks so much. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Awesome. Thank you. Welcome back to inside purple and gold. I'm Dane Mizutani. I want to thank Ben Raven again for joining us. He covers the lions for M live. Give him a follow Benjamin S Raven on Twitter. Give us a follow to Inside Purple and Gold anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, as I've said a hundred times in the past. If you somehow get your podcast somewhere else, let us know. We'll get up there too. Um, if you like what you're hearing, rate us, review us. That helps. Um, but yeah, make sure you're following. Any episode we drop will arrive right on your phone as soon as it drops. Um, you won't have to go look for it at all. Time for our annual or, or weekly, not annual, weekly segment, Purple Prop Party. The Vikings head to Detroit this weekend to play the Lions. They enter the game as two-point underdogs. Lions are minus two. The over-under in that game is 52. Kickoff, one Eastern, noon Central. We talked about this with Ben in the last segment. It might be jaded Vikings fans out there are going to say, man, Vegas hates us. Vegas is disrespecting us. Vegas doesn't hate anyone. Vegas loves money. So they're, they're not hating on the Vikings with this line. They're they're looking at this as an opportunity. Um, maybe it's a trap line for Vikings fans saying, okay, well, Detroit minus two. Like, why wouldn't I hammer the Vikings to cover that? Uh, why wouldn't I hammer the, the, the Vikings money line at plus like 110? Um, Vegas knows what they're doing. They want as close to a 50-50 split as possible. Um, so they don't, so they protect themselves against losing money. Um, if you had an overwhelming Vikings minus six or some made up line like that, you probably would see a lot of people betting Detroit in the opposite. And then Vegas would open themselves up for, for a, a big loss in a, in a random noon game. So wanted to get that out of the way. Vegas does not hate the Vikings. Vikings continuously play in one score games. They win them. They are 9-0 and in one-score games, um, as probably your analytics friends will tell you. The analytics field looks at one-score close games as random. If you win a lot, you will eventually lose a lot. So I think Vegas is looking at this. like If the Vikings are to play another close game this weekend, they will not win. Detroit will win. Detroit's 1-4-5. They're hot. No one can kind of stop that offense right now. I think the Vikings will win. I can't pick against them at this point. I think there's a division title on the line in Detroit. You want to get that thing wrapped up and then taken care of. I do think as good as Detroit's been playing for the past five weeks, at some point they're they're due to regress. They're due to come back to earth a little bit. Um, I don't look at this team as something that's going to just continue to, to fire on all cylinders. I think there's room to grow. As Ben Raven said in the past segments, 
Um, this is still considered a rebuild. So I, I do expect them to take a step back at some point. Um, I think it could be this week. So I expect the Vikings to cover that that two-point spread. The over-under at 52, uh, hard for me to go under on that because it's the two worst defenses in the league. Um, I think the Vikings are among the worst at, at, at hemorrhaging yards. They somehow managed to keep opponents off the scoreboard. Um, Lions kind of the same way. But when these teams are going to be marching up and down the field all game long, um, I think points will be scored. Um, you just do the math. Um, it's it's not hard to get to 52 um, if if both teams are, are scoring with, with somewhat regularity. So Vikings, I expect them to cover. Not going to give you a score. Scores are random. Um, but I expect them to cover. I expect the score to go over the 52. Um, and then I expect the Vikings to win and lock up the division this week in Detroit um, and then push forward trying to chase down the Eagles for the final month of the regular season. Our player props. We get them from DraftKings. When we don't have them on DraftKings, we get them from Prize Picks. DraftKings has done a much better job recently. They're posting their player props early. So it's Thursday morning at about 8.40 Central Time. They already have them up. <clears throat> Justin Jefferson is my player prop. It is every single week. His player prop this week, 93.5 receiving yards. I'm not switching it up with Justin Jefferson because I pick him every week as my player prop. I am picking it up. Oh, I am changing it up with how I, how I bet the player prop. <clears throat> 93.5. Seems pretty standard. Um, I think with a guy like him, you're always going to see a high over-under. I think he goes under this week. I think the Lions did a really good job defending him last time out in week three. They did a good job frustrating him at the point of attack with Jeffrey Okuda, the physical presence at cornerback. Um, they did a good job shadowing him and shading their entire defense to one side of the field. I expect much of the same. I really look at this game as a game that Dalvin Cook could get going in the running game. He had 96 yards on the ground last time out. So I think if all of these things are working kind of against Justin Jefferson, it doesn't mean the Vikings are going to get shut down offensively. It does mean Justin Jefferson, I think, could be in for, you know, kind of a workman day. You saw last week against the, the New York Jets. He did not hit his over. He was still effective. He caught the touchdown that proved to be the difference. I think you could see something similar out of Justin Jefferson this week where he gets the ball into space at times, but overall the Detroit Lions limit, you know, his impact from a yards perspective. I still expect Justin Jefferson to make a big impact in the game and an impact on winning with the attention he draws. And, you know, I, I think anytime he's in the red zone, he's a threat to catch a touchdown. So I expect him to go under the 93 and a half. I still expect him to be really, really effective throughout the game. Um, kind of on a micro level, <clears throat> kind of a bonus one, Amon Ross St. Brown, 81 and a half receiving yards. I, that one seems like a smash over for me. Amon Ross St. Brown at 81 and a half receiving yards. It, it just seems like a no brainer to, to, to bet on that. He's been over a hundred in three of the past four weeks. They're force feeding him the ball as Ben Raven said, no one on the Vikings can cover him on Ross St. Brown. 81 and a half receiving yards seems like an easy over. So if you want to hit a parlay, I take the under on Justin Jefferson, 93 and a half. I take the over on it. I'm on Ross St. Brown, 81 and a half. That's all we got for this week's episode or this Thursday's episode of, of Inside Purple and Gold. We will be back Sunday to talk about what maybe will at that point will be an NFC North champion 
Minnesota Vikings team. Um, until then, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the game on Sunday. We will check back in after. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company.